In many ways, my father was probably the average, traditional, sort of out there, like obvious Irish dad. There wasn't an awful lot of hugging going on, uh, but that's not a bad thing at all. I mean, he was a great, great man, I thought. He smoked his pipe, used to sit there with his plug tobacco and cut it with a kind of a little kind of a guillotine that he had, then roll it in his hand and stuff it into the pipe and burn it away. Usually while he was watching the horses on the telly. He was big into the horses, particularly the Irish ones, and now and again, which we had no interest, he'd suddenly hear him go, come on, Lester, or come on, cheapers, he'd jump up out of the seat. Um, my mum, in terms of everything that went on in the house, wore the trousers, if you like. She was 100% completely and absolutely in charge of everything. The, 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 there was a Mrs Mooney who used to look after us as kids, and she was a lovely woman who actually bizarrely, are you ready for this? She lived in Donnybrook, and she was the only house in an area, it's a small little kind of Beatrix Potter type house, in an area that was all just fields, that's now called RTE, which is quite bizarre, which is only about a mile down the road from where I grew up. All you got to do is read Jerry Ryan's book to find out. He says, look, of every single thing I've ever done, the only time I ever felt it was in Led Zeppelin was around the time about 82 to 88. In other words, when he was on nighttime 2FM. He started um, morning time 2FM in 88, and it was like a big risk to put Jerry on there. Because I re- even I thought, I mean, Bill O'Donovan, the head of 2FM, came to me and said, you know, what do you think? And I said, well, I don't know, like, it's the funniest thing at night, but I don't think the Irish people are going to get it in the daytime. Within two months, he controlled the airways. But those six years were pretty special times. I mean, it sounds corny, like, but like it was the era of the superstar DJ, if you were a DJ, because there was nothing else. Like, the previous decade, you'd go to school on a Friday and everybody had seen the same TV programmes the night before. So all conversation was about Tomorrow's World, Top of the Pops, The Man from Uncle, Gets Smart, whatever it happened to be, because everybody saw the same things. And it was a really, really golden time. When we did Beats in the Streets and Larks in the Park, laugh all you like. We needed security in Cork. It was just great fun. But I mean, like, there's 23 stations serving Dublin now. So, I mean, like, you know, and it's so disparate. There's also internet and everything else. So if you think about it, there's 25,000 million stations serving it. So it's all changed and it's all different. But they were a pretty golden time. And if you ever felt you wanted to be in Led Zeppelin, and by that I mean read the books about what Led Zeppelin got up to on the road, we had a laugh. I wrote a book about myself and then I handed it in. And after that, I met a copywriter guy. I know a, a a ghostwriter that the company said, OK, we're going. and I must say he was brilliant, Ian Gittins. He changed things around. He kind of cut and pasted. And, but one or two words, he would, I kind of let them slip through and I realised, oh my God, my soulmate. I mean, I might as well work for Hallmark Cards or John Hind or something. That's awful rubbish. But um, she is my soulmate. How did I meet Ursula? <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I met her in a pub somewhere off South Ann Street, I think, the first time because I would have known a friend of mine who was actually roading at the time, bizarrely, with you too. And uh, I'd known him since I was a kid. And uh, he was on the road. He was sharing a house in Dalky and he bought a, a par- he rented an apartment and she rented an apartment with him and I met him through that. I met her through that. It's kind of a bit of a strange way that I met her. But we were all hanging around, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely no question. I mean, I just cannot. I'm so boringly new man on the front of one of these magazines. I mean, that's just pathetic. Kids are the greatest thing ever. I currently have a nine-year-old and I cannot describe how fantastic it is. Now, the 17-year-old and the 19-year-old, like no matter how much of a problem they might be sometimes, it's brilliant, the whole thing. It's the greatest single thing ever 
I couldn't say it any better than that. But I honestly don't feel it necessarily changed me very much. I mean, I was doing what I was doing. I was doing about four TV programmes at the time. I was doing Channel 4. I was doing Virgin Radio. I was doing all sorts of things. I was flying all over the world interviewing rock stars and movie stars. And I was doing what I had to do. And the one thing I must say, I have to be honest, maybe it changed me in this way, in that when I was doing, like say I went to Harrison Ford in New York or something, and then I had four days off, I'd come home the next day. And it was pretty obvious why I was coming home. Kids, you know. You know, I just am who I am. I've never tried to be anything else. I'm one of the very few DJs who came from power stations who didn't have a false name. It never occurred to me to have one. And in fact, it was only a few years later I realised, I mean, your name isn't really whatever it happens to me. I was amazed at that kind of thing. It's just, I just did what I did. And like, also, I don't put on anything on the radio because I can't. I remember being once with Larry Gogan in the studio talking to him, giving out as usual about management or something. And then he just turns on the mic and he becomes Larry. It's like fantastic. I was in one way in awe and another way, well, I can't do that. And I never thought of doing it. Sort of the band I played most in Paris was U2. So then when we did sessions in 2FM, the first band we asked in was U2. So that was a big thing at the time. But uh, we had done so many interviews that, you know, one day they came in. And this was the Joshua Tree time, so they were big. And it was the big Joshua Tree interview, if you like. And Bono just said, look, let's just change things and take our clothes off. I don't know, like, it just sounds pathetic. So everybody took their clothes off. And it's just, it does change an interview. Try it sometime. Well, the, the the Beatles was a different thing because I was there for the whole thing from a very early age in short pants and I joined their uh, fan club and all the rest, got all the posters of Christmas and the special little flexi discs and all those kind of things. But I mean, it's just to see the progression, see where it went. And then it came to Rubber Soul and then it came to Revolver. But then it came to this single, which they brought out before Sgt. Peppers. We knew something big was happening. In fact, it was never on a proper album. This And it was Penny Lane, which was typically brilliant. Um, in terms of a great pop song from Paul on one side and then on the other side of it I'm talking old seven inch vinyl by the way was this thing Strawberry Fields Forever which absolutely blew me away Yeah. 
sometimes think it's me But you know I know when it's a dream I think I know, I mean, uh, yes, but it's all wrong That is, I think I disagree Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry Strawberry feels forever Strawberry feels forever Strawberry feels forever